until about eight years old there in Houston, Texas, and then to Quincy, Louisiana, and then up until probably age 16 or 17, every summer, my family, or at least the, the kids, we would go back, and me and Brad, my brother, we'd go, and we'd be at Grandma and Grandpa's house there in this little town called De Quincey. And um, I could have stayed there for years. Uh, I didn't really need Mom and Dad as long as I had Momo and Papa, and it would have been good. But, uh, you know, Brad, he was a little bit different, and so I remember there'd be times when he was littler than he was uh, younger than I am. He'd be crying at night, I want to go home. I'd be like, stop, don't say it. Don't, don't tell them anything. I want to stay here. But we enjoyed it. We'd go out into the land and we'd, uh, we'd cut down trees and we'd build forts and we'd ride horses and we'd try to ride the cows. It didn't always happen. Sometimes we could, but most of the time we got thrown off. It's amazing I didn't die. We got to swim in the bayous and, and catch the fish and go hunting. It was great. But uh, my, my grandfather and, and uncle, they've always had cows and horses and they've had fields, you know, hay fields that they would, or at least pasture land. But there is a, a tree. Now, if it makes no sense up here because you've never heard of it. It's not something that, that exists in up, up this far north. But, man, you go down there to Louisiana, they start talking about the tallow tree. The tallow tree, it's a, it's a pretty tree, kind of like a Bradford pear, if you, th- if you know what those are. It looks similar. But uh, actually, it's all Benjamin Franklin's fault. In 17, 1776, he brought over from China some tallow trees, and he put them out, th- out there, and it was great. And, and, and then later in Louisiana, there was a soap factory, and something about the leaves, the reason they call it a tallow tree is there's a waxy substance on the leaves that you can uh, extract off. And so because of that... They would use it to make soap. But here's the problem with the tallow tree. They brought it over. There's no known uh, enemy of that. There's no known thing that kind of keeps them in control. When a tallow tree is three years old, they're able to uh, uh, begin to reproduce. And then a tallow tree will reproduce for up to 100 years. And they reproduce like crazy. And so... uh, they're everywhere. You, you can, if you don't work your, your, your pasture land for a couple years, you'll go back and it will have nothing but tallow trees. They're poisonous. The animals can't eat it. If the animals eat it, uh, it, it, it causes gastronomical problems. If you touch the milk of the tallow tree, uh, it, many times people are allergic to that and it gives them uh, rashes and things of that nature. But uh, we would try to eradicate the tallow tree. I remember Papa used to give us money for every one of those we cut down and burned. And we would cut them down by the hundreds. But it was just trying to remove it. And, I, and they, there's been complete studies on how to remove the tallow tree. It's kind of like the fire ant. There's complete studies. They pay hundreds of thousands, probably millions of dollars a year to universities. How do we eradicate the fire ant from the south? Getting those things that have a grip there is hard to pull out. And it's not something that was new only to the time uh, of, of us. But I want to take you, if you will, I'd like for you to go to Luke chapter 17 and verse 5. And I want to tell you about another tree that's really hard to eradicate. And uh, through the course of tonight, or today rather, uh, I want us to talk about this. But Luke chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 5 and 6, and then we'll back up and pick up verse 1 uh, a little bit later. But it, it, it simply says this. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith, or give us more faith, or help us in this. And the Lord said, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you might say unto the sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root, 
and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. And I want to preach today how to get rid of the sycamine tree. I don't have an answer when it comes to the tallow tree, but I do have answers when it comes to uh, the sycamine tree. I love it when you read the Bible and verses that you've read may not, you've kind of skimmed over them and now they jump out at you. And I believe that this particular verse is overshadowed by the concept of the mustard seed. All of us know about mustard seed faith. How many Sunday school teachers or how many of you went to Sunday school when they taught about that and they got a little packet of mustard seeds and they gave it to all the kids, that teeny tiny uh, mustard seed. And it creates a, a, a large bush or small tree just from a small seed. You could look at Matthew chapter 17 when Jesus rebuked the devil and the child was cured. The devil had left the child and the disciples are asking, how come we couldn't cast this out? And he said, it's because of your unbelief. But I say, verily, verily, that's just a, a, a biblical theological word that says, listen, very carefully, listen, listen. Uh, verily, verily, I say unto you, if you had faith, the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be thou removed, nothing shall be impossible Unto you, or, or, or you can look at Mark chapter 4 where it said the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed when it's sown into the earth and, and it's less than all the seeds that be in the earth but when it is sown it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shooteth out branches and the birds can land on it and lodge and rest under it. Luke goes on to say the same thing about the mustard seed. It says, the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed. And when the man took and put it in his garden, it grew and waxed. It became a great tree. And so we, we know more about the mustard seed than we do about the sycamine tree. And so I want to take you now, if you will, let's look back at the first part of Luke chapter 17. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he, 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 he's kind of got them in a pretty important conversation and he says this. He said unto his disciples, it is impossible but that offenses will come. Another translation of the Bible says temptations will come. You can kind of, probably that word goes both ways. But woe unto him through whom they come. Meaning temptations are going to come but if you're the one doing the tempting... That's a bad place to be. He said it would be better for him that a millstone were hung around his neck and cast into the sea than that he would offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, if he repent, forgive him. Aren't you glad the Lord forgives us? We just sung that. He paid it all. I'm glad he forgave us. Now, a lot of times people will stop and they'll grab that first part of it and they'll talk about the offense. And dude, I've been offended many times in my life. I, I've been hurt. But then the Lord doesn't leave it at the someone that's been wronged. He then flips the script and he says, but how about how you act to those that wrong you? He says, take heed if your brother trespass against thee. Rebuke him. Tell him he hurt your feelings. Tell him it hurts. And if that person repents, then forgive him. Then we have this verse in the Bible that kind of hard. If he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day you turn to thee saying, I repent, I'm sorry, thou shalt forgive him. Does that verse sound familiar? There's another place in the Bible that takes it a whole another step further. It says, how many times ought we forgive? Seventy times seven in one day for the same offense. 
If you have someone that does a lot of offenses, they could do a whole lot in one day, and you still got to repent. You still got to forgive them. But but watch what the apostles say, because when when I saw a little uh, uh, cartoon where where Jesus is standing in front of all the you know the crowd, and he says, "Forgive seventy times seventy. And Peter slaps his hand on his forehead in the cartoon, uh, and, and, and says, "Oh, now we got to do math." But think about that. I want you to think about the worst thing, the worst person that's ever done something to you, okay? Get that in your mind. Don't, don't look at anybody around here because that doesn't matter. But, but think about the worst thing you could, that, that someone's ever done to you and the Lord looks at you and says, forgive them 70 times 7. 149 times for the same offense seemingly in one day. And the apostles had the same look that you and I have, and this is what they said. Because remember, you can't just take a verse out of the Bible. How many times have you heard pastors say that? You can't just pick a verse out of the Bible and say, well, this is it. It's true. But watch how it goes. The apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. What they were saying was, Brother Farino, they were saying, that's hard. I can't do that. My flesh won't allow me to do that. You're going to have to help me, Lord. That's what that verse means. Increase my faith. And so then the Bible uh, uh, goes on to say the things that we were reading earlier. It says, uh, then the Lord said, if you have faith, the grain of a mustard seed, you might say unto the sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root, and thou be planted in the sea, and it should obey you. I I remember, uh, I didn't hear the sermon in, in person but when I worked at headquarters and I was working back in the stock room and, and filling orders and, and it was up there on the second floor of the warehouse and for, for a long time it was just me up there and so I had to find ways to uh, entertain myself because I was all by myself for hours on end and somewhere in that stock room I found a box of, of preaching tapes from conferences and conventions and these were, were great men of God and so I had a little tape player, and I would play for hours. I would play preaching tapes of this. And I remember the one I heard, David Fuller's sermon. I believe it was at Because of the Times uh, called Wounds That Never Heal. And I've mentioned that here or there. It was a masterpiece of the preaching art. And, and I could appreciate it then as a young man that wanted to, to preach. I could, I could appreciate the flow. I could appreciate the scriptures and the illustrations, but I also realized there's later uh, things that you only learn from experience. And so I, I remember the main sermon. He had, or the main rather uh, the main point of the sermon. It was about a redwood tree that fell. And when the, whatever the tree scientists and the tree forensics began to look at that tree, they couldn't figure out why this entire this huge seemingly healthy tree had fallen and they began to look back through all the growth rings and they found years and years and years before they had found a small wound to one of the, the, the uh, roots that had begun to fester and it had festered for years and it didn't seem like it mattered until something came and it, it, it pushed that tree over. But, but I couldn't find record of that. I'd look for it. I couldn't find it. I don't know where he got that from. But I, I, I do know there's always the danger in those small things. You've heard me say the, the, the little uh, poem. For the want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For the want of the shoe, 
the horse was lost. For the want of a horse, the rider was lost. And for the want of a rider, the battle was lost. And for the want of the battle, the kingdom was lost. All for the want of a horseshoe nail. That little nursery rhyme goes all the way back to the 1300s, 1390s to be exact. It was also Benjamin Franklin, even though he was the one that brought those stupid tallow trees over, but he was pretty smart in other things. He said this in 1758 in his poor Richard's almanac. He said, a little neglect can breed a lot of mischief. Just a little neglect. I, I, I preached this part, the tragedy of a small wound, but let me just remind you, Proverbs chapter 18 and, and verse 8 says, the words are of a talebearer or as of wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. In fact, the writer of Proverbs, most likely Solomon, thought so much of that scripture that he said it again in Proverbs 26, 22, and he used the exact same words, the exact same format, the words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Now, Zechariah begins to write, and it's a messianic prophecy. It, it's, it's pushing to Jesus and what's going to happen to Jesus at the hands of his people and the hands of the Roman soldiers. But it, it's true, even if you step outside the messianic prophecy portion of that, one shall say to him, Zechariah 13, 6, one shall say to him, what are these wounds in thy hands? And he shall answer, with those are the ones that I was wounded in the house of a friend. The Paul, uh, uh, the Proverbs, Solomon goes on to say that the spirit of a man shall sustain his infirmity. I've seen a lot of people that have been sick with, with mortal maladies. They, they've got cancer, they've got uh, uh, great diseases, but their spirit can withstand them. But it says a wounded spirit who can bear. Let me read it in the New Living Translation. It says this, the human spirit can endure a sick body. But what can you do when the spirit is crushed? Of course, it continues on. Proverbs, he had a lot to say. A merry heart doth good like a medicine. But a broken spirit dries up the bones. I'm just, I'm just kind of setting the stage for where I want to go about how to remove a sycamine tree. Second uh, Corinthians says, uh, So that contrary-wise you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps a such should be swallowed up with much sorrow. It's those small things that make a big difference in our life. Now we look at something big. We look at 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 First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter six, verse eighteen. It says, "Flee fornication." That's a big sin. Flee fornication. But Song of Solomon, which is absolutely first and foremost. Now let me just give you a quick understanding of Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. There's a lot of ways to understand that, but it's first and foremost a a a understanding of what a marriage should be between a man and a woman and how that ought to go. Before you start trying to think it's the church and all of that, those may work. But Song of Solomon is absolutely a, a song, if you will, of, of, of a love between a married couple. But, but he said this, uh, Solomon said in Song of Solomon, he said, Take the little foxes that spoil the vines. Uh, what, what that means is catch all of the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love for the grape vines are blossoming. There was an understanding that these foxes had a, a nasty habit of just nipping off the buds of a grapevine before anything ever happened. And, and it didn't seem like it was much until you got ready to harvest grapes and it wasn't there. Small things matter in our life. Small things matter. Uh, my wife has had it, and I finally found it, Sister Buford. We were looking for this uh, when we were moving, but... Uh, she had for years in her book Bible a little post-it note that had this, these four lines on it. 
And it says uh, uh, from the Hebrew children, lessons from the Hebrew children. If they can change your name, they'll change your diet. If they can change your diet, they'll try to change your dress. And if they try to change your dress, they can probably change your worship. And if they change your worship, then they have changed your God. That's why David and the three Hebrew children, now they may not have had a chance about the name change. They were, serv- they were slaves and servants. But remember, they put a stop to that. They said, we're not going to eat of the king's table. Just give us pulse and water. Give us fruit and water. Because they understood when you start losing the little things, things matter. Psalms chapter 147 says, He heals up the broken in heart and He binds their wounds. They say, Pastor, why are you talking all about this? Because I want to talk to you about the, 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 the dilemma of a sycamine tree. Remember, we just begin to talk. Let me, let me get back my notes here at the beginning. We just begin to talk about this, this uh, Jesus saying offenses is going to come and, and that's not good. And then he goes, and if you're offended, why don't you learn to forgive? And, and if you forgive, you've got to forgive seven times, maybe even 70 times 70. And they said, how are we going to do this? And I believe Jesus, as they were walking by, he points to a tree. See, Jesus was the master of of taking something that they could touch and feel and tell a story about it. He was a great teacher. And so Jesus wanted to teach his disciples about bitterness and unforgiveness and how to remove them from your life. And so perhaps they're walking by. I don't know, but perhaps they're walking by. And he says, if you have faith, just a little bit of faith, the size of a mustard seed, you can say to the sycamine tree, not a sycamore tree, a sycamine tree, You can say to the sycamine tree, be thou removed, and it will go get planted in the ocean. He he said this sycamine tree, he he pointed to one right there, if you will, and he was wanting to teach them how to get rid rid of bitterness and unforgiveness. Told them, it's a challenge to forgive. Now don't raise your hand, but how many of you hold grudges? Just don't raise your hand, just think about it. Yeah, we all do. We all have those grudges. If they hurt me, well, bless God, I'll hurt them. If they wounded me, I'll wound them. And forgiving once is a challenge. But can you imagine having to forgive one seven times in one day? It's almost an impossible understanding. It was preposterous to those disciples, which is why they said, Lord, you're going to have to help us if we're going to do that. And so you have to realize that the reason he used the sycamine tree There were characteristics of the sycamine tree that mean a lot when it comes to bitterness and hurt and wounds. Number one, the sycamine tree had a very large and deep root structure. You can kind of begin to research it out. And and, uh, it it was known, those roots, to go deep. How many of you ever tried to pull up a dandelion in your yard? Especially a big dandelion. You know how long those roots are? I hate pulling up dandelions. I like those other weeds that you can just pick them up with two fingers and you can pick up an entire carpet of weeds in just one little pluck. But man, a dandelion, you got to reach down deep. And if you don't get the roots out, guess what? It pops back up. This tree was like that. It, it grew, they say, to a height of some 30 feet or so, but its roots went down. It was dip- You see, if they had a bad year, there wasn't a lot of rain. For the most part, it didn't hurt a sycamine tree. 
If there was cold or blistering temperatures, it, it wouldn't do it because it was tapping something deep down, enabling it that you could cut it down, but it would keep coming up. It would keep coming up. And Jesus used this certain tree to be an example of bitterness, to be an example of unforgiveness, because in doing so, if you want to get rid of bitterness and unforgiveness, you've got to learn to deal with the root. Otherwise, it just keeps springing up again. This is why you can go months without ever having any problems and then something kind of triggers it and all of that angst and all of that comes springing up again. The root of bitterness goes deep into the soul of a human being, into the spirit of a human being and it feeds off of those things that lie under the surface. And when it does, it's, it's there. And, and so in order to get rid of it, you can't just say, well, I'm, I'm done, I'm over it. No. If you've been married before, you realize that's not the best way to answer and stop an argument. I'm done. I'm over it. You've got to deal with the root. You've got to deal with the root. Uh, a second thing, which I thought was interesting, and I've, I've seen it, and, and, uh, but it says that in the Egypt and the Middle East, they would use the sycamine tree to build a lot of caskets and coffins. It was a quick-growing tree. It grew in any environment, and uh, so you could, you could use it, and it was, uh, it was there. Again, I don't know if Jesus had that in mind, but it sure does fit. That just as the sycamine tree grows quickly, so does the root of bitterness and unforgiveness. In fact, I've lived my own life. I've struggled with my own experiences over 37 years of how quickly a bitterness can spring up. It doesn't take a long time, and it grows in every environment. You know what I'm interested, what's interesting? No matter what church I go to, no matter what city I go to, no matter what town I go to, bitterness and unforgiveness is there. I can go all the way to Tonga and, and American Samoa, and it's there. I can go to Fiji, and it's there. I can go to, to uh, Africa. It's a condition of the human soul, unforgiveness. It grows, it grows best where rain is sparse, water was sparse. Negative attitudes tend to flourish. Now listen, where spiritually dry conditions are present. I, I can, man, I, one of these days, see I can't do it now because, you know, y'all think I'm talking about you. But one day I'm going to write a book on all the things that I've seen in my life. And hopefully by then some people may have died and they won't know I'm talking about them. We'll see. But I can, I can count almost 100%. That where bitterness and unforgiveness and anger are growing, there will be no repentance, there will be no joy, and there will be no fresh rain of His Spirit. I've seen it over and over and over again. And that, that wood that they like to build their caskets out of it, what a message it is that teaches you and I that bitterness and unforgiveness are deadly. And harboring those things will bury you quicker than anything else. Because if you allow bitterness and unforgiveness to grow in your life, it won't be long until they've killed your joy, stolen your peace, and canceled out your spiritual life. But you know, I, I, I've been wanting to, I don't know why, I, this, I, I've got a whole archive of sermons and I go back through them and and, and I'm okay with re-preaching stuff. I don't know about you, Brother Farino. You've probably got millions of sermons. But I'm okay preaching it because I still preach Acts 2.38 every chance I get. 
So I figure there's other principles in the Bible. And, and I've had this sermon on, my, on the forefront of my, of my desk for quite some time and just kind of kept pushing it off until I, I got something in, on an email that began to teach. See, in Louisiana, they don't have them up here, although they're starting to come, and I'm really excited. But down in Louisiana, we have a fig tree. And my dad, you can talk to my dad, they're out of town today, but you can ask my dad. My dad and I, one of our favorite uh, preserves are fig preserves. And, and you can go out and you can pick those figs and, and they make them, it's so good. But did you know that the fruit of the fig that you eat is not really a fruit, but it's a flower? It's very interesting how figs work. And, and you see the sycamine tree was a type of fig. And there was another tree that was very similar, and I, I, the only way I've been able to see it in my study is called the mulberry fig, but it's not like what we have. There's a big mulberry tree right here on the corner. It's not the mulberry tree that makes kind of like a blackberry-looking thing, but it was a fig. And, and the sycamine tree, while it looked like the mulberry fig, the sycamine tree's fruit was very bitter, and, and, and it, it, was, uh, it, it, it may look good, but you really couldn't eat it. How many of you ever eaten something that wasn't ripe? You know, and it was very bitter. It was, you know, and, and, and so, well, that's how it was even when it was, when it was ripe. And so uh, when it would look like, the mulberry fig, they say, is just absolutely delicious, and, and it was incredible. And, and it was expensive. To go over here to a mulberry tree, to go to the, the, the grocery store and get mulberry figs, those were kind of the, 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 the cream de la cream when it comes to, to figs, and so they were expensive. Wealthy people ate mulberry figs. But the sycamine fig grew everywhere and it was cheaper and it was more affordable and, and, and it was a substitute for something that was sweet. They say that the sycamine fig, you couldn't eat it all at one time. It would pucker your mouth up. Any of you ever eaten an a, a unripe persimmon? I got hold of one of those earlier this year. Couldn't whistle for a week. But... uh. The, the, the sycamine fig that Jesus was pointing to was so bitter it couldn't be eaten whole. And so what happened was a lot of the poor people, a lot of those that couldn't afford the, the mulberry fig, they would, get sycam or they would get sycamine figs because they wanted a little bit, but they could only eat a bite at a time. They, they would nibble here and pause and nibble here and pause. They had to let their taste buds kind of settle down because of how bitter it was. It was too tart. It was too pungent to eat at one time. And I'm convinced that Jesus was looking at something they knew and he was reminding you and I about bitterness and unforgiveness that it's tart, it's bitter, it's pungent. And people who are bitter and people who are, are, are filled with unforgiveness, they tend not to do something all at once, but they chew on it a while. A little nibble here, a little nibble here. And, and they, they pause to digest it. And once they've digested, once they've, they've reflected deeply on the offense that has happened, they return and they begin to dig up and a little bite here and a little bite there. And they meditate and it's there and it's that perpetual. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to quote uh, uh, from a quote I wrote, read rather, that it's the perpetual nibbling of the poisonous fruit of bitterness that causes them to become bitter and sour themselves. When you sit around and you constantly meditate on every wrong that's ever been done, when you constantly meditate on the things that are wrong, see, this is the problem, and, 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 and this, I, I realize as I grow older in my ministry and more understanding of the Bible, how circular the Bible is. That everything is connected. 
that everything goes back. And it's the same problem with Eve. Eve sat in a garden where she could have eaten every tree that was out there. But she got fixated on one tree. And it ended up causing her to lose out. And so it is the same that when, when you constantly meditate on all of the wrongs, there's a spiritual poverty that begins to come. And this is the thing that, that got me. And I had read it in, in my understanding and, and learning of the Bible. But just a couple weeks ago, not even at all connected to theology, theology, but just gardenry. I got this thing that talked about the fig. And how that figs, they are, their flower is internal. And actually when you eat a fig, you're eating hundreds of little tiny flowers. Because that's how it is. They're, they're pollinated. We, we see bees. You know, bees, they fly, they buzz, they land on a flower, and the fuzz on their legs and all of that collect the pollen, and then they go, and when they land on another uh, 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 flower, the pollen falls off, and they pollinate, right? That's not how figs are pollinated. The only thing that can pollinate a fig is a wasp, a certain wasp. It's called mutualism. It's when something exists just to help the other. And the male wasp uh, uh, is there. A female wasp is the wasp that flies. That female wasp will fly. And it will sting the, the uh, beginning flower bud of a, of a fig tree. It will sting it. And then it will burrow its way in. And there that female wasp will have laid uh, eggs inside the figs. Y'all never eat a fig again. They lay their eggs inside the fig which is really a, a bunch of tiny flowers wrapped up in a, in, a, in a covering. And when all of those little wasps hatch, there's male wasps and female wasps. The male wasps don't have any wings. They're never to leave that fig. All they do is, is mate and reproduce with all the other ones. And so what you're eating is, all, is a pollinated flower that has grown. And then the female wasps will pour their way out of that fig and they'll fly off to sting another one again. It's interesting. Have you ever heard this before? Usually from someone that deals with an unforgiveness or bitterness. I've been stung before. I'm not going to let it happen again. What they did hurt me so badly that I'll never let them get close enough to sting me again. You see, the devil understands how bitterness Works. And if we could take a lesson from, from the natural realm of a sycamine tree and place it into the heart that we have inside, the devil knows how to pollinate a soul with bitterness. It happens with the sting. Someone got hurt. Someone got wounded. And that wasp impregnated them with bitterness that grows and when you look at that and you begin to understand how bitterness and, 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 and disappointments and woundings and offense begin to work, some would throw up their hands and say, there's nothing we could do. But Jesus then says, all you have to do is have faith the size of a mustard seed. He didn't say you got to go to counseling to get rid of that bitterness. He didn't say you got to cut it down and keep cutting it down and keep cutting it down. No, he said if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, 
You can say to that thing that's consumed you and gotten so rooted in your life that it's stolen your joy and your worship. It's stolen your happiness. It's stolen your relationships. And all you have to say is in the name of Jesus, God, I'm ready for you to take care of something that I've been dealing with for way too long. Faith the size of a mustard seed. He'll pick that out. And he'll throw it into the sea. I've been talking about and I've, I've taken time I've put together, I've shown you the entire life cycle and understanding of a sycamine tree. It's a huge event. Jesus said you, you don't have to have a whole lot to get rid of something that seems so big. You don't have to pray and fast for 25 days in order to leave that bitterness and that hurt and that wound behind. All you have to do is say, Jesus... I'm ready to have joy restored. God, I used to worship. I used to clap my hands. I used to let the tears roll down my face in the songs and the worship of church. But God, I'm dry. I'm desiccated inside. It's deep. But God, if you'll just help me. See, it's, it's really just a desire of the heart. It's really just this simple understanding that if you want to, He will. you wanted something way more theologically sound than that but let me just say it again if you want to he will would you stand today so what's your desire you say pastor you don't know what I'm going through you're right I don't more than welcome to come talk to me and give me insight I would love to, to understand and help but I don't have to I could tell you that I understand bitterness. I understand hurt. I understand pain. I understand wounds. But I also understand how it festers inside and how it grabs hold. And I think today would be a great day for you to lift your hands and say, Lord, I've dealt with it long enough. God, you said that I could cast my cares on you because you care for me. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you would take the sycamine tree out. Take the fruit that's bitter. Take the roots that run deep. Take it all, Lord. God, I pray that you would pluck it up and throw it in the ocean so that I don't have to deal with that anymore. Because, God, if anything has ever happened, I'm your child, and I'll let you take care of it. I'm going to open these altars. I want you just to take time to talk to the Lord on your own. Let the Lord speak to you in His own way. It's time to remove the sickness.